Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. I am your host today, Desiree Collins Bradley, and I am uber excited because I have an extremely special guest with us today, Dr. Natasha Washington. You guys always hear me talk about her. She is the CEO and founder of ATW Health Solutions. And that is our sponsor for this episode. Every week, you guys hear me talk about all the great work that we're doing at ATW Health Solutions. Well, Dr. Natasha Washington is here with us today. So welcome, Dr. Washington. Thank you for having me. It's, I, I'm so glad that you were able to squeeze me into your agenda, honey, because when I look at all the uh, folks that you have on, I get excited every time. So thank you for uh for uh, having me on our annual conversation. Yeah, well, you know, and and I'm excited to share because I think it's timely as us, I would say as a company, as an organization, as a partnership, you know, we're doing some really great work in the industry, but we've also learned quite a bit during, I would say, coming through COVID and on the other end of COVID, let me knock on this wood right here. (laughs) And so, you know, I would just kind of like open it up. I just want us to kind of talk and kind of lift up some of the great work that we're doing. Elevate, I would say that innovation, we're going to talk all about innovation on this podcast. And hopefully at the end, you guys can learn some things and take some of these, I would say, pockets of excellence and try to kind of spread this in your organizations and your communities and hopefully kind of empower and inspire you into action. So Dr. Washington, so, you know, just kind of kicking us off, let's, let's kind of talk about where do you think we are as it relates to, I would say, person, family, engagement, innovation, partnerships, collaboration, where do you think the industry is right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that, you know, industry definitely um, has taken note to the benefit of elevating the voices of, of people, elevating the voices of consumers, patients, caregivers, families, communities. 
um, and um, leveraging community partnerships through stakeholder engagements. I think that, um, you know, there is this, um, there's a lot of emphasis on really galvanizing the voice of, of, of real people, which is a great thing to see. Um, it seems like, you know, um, year over year, there's kind of these ebbs and flows, but I think that we're um, at a point that it's, we're, see, we're seeing it peak again. And so that's exciting. Um, but at the same time, we've also saw some trends um, kind of reverting in, in a different direction. And that's certainly, um, you know, as a result of COVID, we've seen many hospitals and um, health systems uh, you know, just really suffer from a quality and safety uh, uh, perspective. Um, and so we know that uh, many of many institutions that have had, you know, patients and families as part of um, patients and family advisory councils or patients integrated um, in their operations or work that they're doing, a lot of that kind of fell off a little bit with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, th those institutions or many institutions are in a rebuilding phase. Um, and so I'm hope that, you know, through our work, we're able to um, inspire some acceleration through that. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a really good point. And, and I'm, everybody knows that tunes in to our podcast knows that I'm pretty straightforward. And I think systems have been hiding behind COVID in this past, I would say, give it about as at the past year or so because the patients and families and advisors that have been kind of in the trenches doing the work are starting to get a little antsy and agitated as a lot of systems aren't really letting them come back into the hospital to do their volunteer work or PFAC work stating, you know, it's COVID, it's COVID. We've had the vaccinations, we've checked all the boxes, it's time to let us back in the hospitals to really partner and do the good work and really stop hiding behind. And I'm, I'm being um, transparent, hiding behind the excuse of COVID. Really, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we've gone through the, the roughest of the rough and COVID unfortunately isn't going away. It's, it's gonna be like the flu. We get our flu vaccine and we keep it pushing and we wash our hands. And if we have to wear our mask, we wear our mask. But I really would love to see and really urge our community partners and our patients to really push their systems to say, okay, how can we come together to come up with a solution to get us back? Because it is, you know, there are systems that the caregivers, when you go inpatient, they don't even let them in the room still. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, is a big safety issue because you have a lot of times the families, they'll get those near misses, right? Catch those safety and be the voice of the patients that don't have a voice. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot that I think we have made some headway, but we have a lot of room to grow together and really come up with those solutions-based way of thinking. And unfortunately, there are quite a few patients as we have so many um, diverse patients in our network that hear from us and we talk um, quite frequently that are getting a little frustrated and my fear is that they're gonna be weighed down and just quit and we don't want that mm -hmm. yeah one of the things that i i would say you know from uh, from the, the, the voice of a of a researcher that we know that um the way we have been trending in terms of adverse um 
um, events and rates in, in um, hospitalized patients. When um, there was recently a study that uh, Noel Eldridge and um, uh, colleagues uh, produced, and it is it was released in uh, JAMA, the uh, JAMA um, uh, peer-reviewed um, uh, article back in July, and essentially, you know what it looked at was, you know, whether there were changes in rates and hospital adverse events, looking at a specific time frame where we know that there was a real national push on um, improving, um, improving uh, patient safety and quality um, in hospital settings. And um, that research actually showed um, that there was a significant decline uh, for patients um, in several major areas uh, between 2010-2019 and significantly declined for patients in um, just in all conditions between um, that same uh, uh, time frame. So what does that tell us? Essentially, that tells us that we were actually making some headway prior to COVID, right? Because, you know, COVID really began to um, rear its um, head in, um, what was that, the, uh, uh, in 2019 or late 2019. Mm-hmm. And so, and so um, we know that if you look at the isolated work, right, that was being done nationally, in particular, the work that both uh, you and I were a part of at Partnership for Patients uh, mm-hmm. with CMS, that if you look at that isolated time frame, that we actually did make some significant decreases in the annual rates of in-hospital adverse events. And so what connection does that have back to patients and families? Well, we know that that was the first large-scale national project that use patient and family engagement as a key driver to actually move um, change. So as a part of that change management system, patients and families were strategically integrated throughout all of that work. And many institutions across the country actually began for the first time developing um, these patient and family advisory councils, integrating patients in on other committees and throughout other um, operations within health systems. And so in summary, what it says is that we were on the right track. We were on the right pathway, elevating the voices of patients, families, and communities um, into the work and doing that um, with the focus on um, health equity, doing that with a focus on diversity and inclusion in terms of the patients that we you know bring into the work or families and people that we bring into the work and so we've got to get back there we've got mm-hmm. to get back you know fundamentally to what we know was was working mm-hmm. and i think that is an as an important um point and as we look ahead to the horizon uh, my hope is that as the research continues to move forward, whether those outcomes, good or bad or ugly or in between, that we utilize that opportunity to really look at the data because most folks know that the data is really your story kind of speaks through the data, right? Mm -hmm. And so hopefully um, as research in the next three, four years, we'll see 
that trend hopefully pick back up as all of us that are, I would say, PFE and patient safety champions urge industry to kind of get back to the basics, right? Making sure that families and caregivers and community partners are integral parts of the work as we rebuild together, right? We're all kind of in this rebuilding phase, but doing it together. And I think people are ready. I really believe people, leaders are ready, um, industry leaders are ready, hospital leaders are ready, and patients and families and community partners are, are ready as well. So, and, and you speak about like innovation, innovation. Um, what are some of the things, I would say innovative things that you've seen most recently as it relates to that kind of rebuilding phase? Has any pockets of excellence that you think of kind of bubble up to the top? Yeah, one of the things that um, certainly I'm beginning to see is um, um, many institutions are beginning to um, reevaluate or look at um, where they are in the high reliability um, journey. Mm -hmm. uh, many institutions, you know, recognize and understand high reliability in terms of you know, being able to systematize, if you will, these best practices that produce better outcomes. Um, and what I'm beginning to see is how patient and family engagement and health equity are beginning to um, be grounded in that work, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm hopeful to see a lot more of that because of course, when you look at systems, again, talking about the work done with partnership of patients, you know, the system just was not about, you know, looking at solely at culture, just culture, um, the practice or organization of our quality and safety within organizations. Uh, but we know that patient family engagement was very much integrated into that. And diversity and inclusion was very much, or health equity was very much also a part of that work. And so to see that being birthed um, in this new space is really exciting. And I'm hopeful um, that more organizations really take to that. So in other words, as you begin to look at your organizational cultures, you begin to look at how do you systematize these best practices in order to um, you know, begin to um, improve quality and safety, that not only is there a focus on those traditional spaces um, that we have looked at from a quality improvement standpoint or from a patient safety standpoint, but also that we are integrating the concepts of patient family engagement and health equity. And then let me add one more piece of that is that, you know, and this is this is just what we teach, but I have to say it is that, you know, when you say the word patient family engagement or when you say the word um, health equity, many organizations, you know, will raise the hand and say, yeah, we do that. You know, we we definitely um, engage patients or or, you know, we definitely, you know, make an attempt to engage, you know, voices from the community. But there really is an evidence based way of doing the work. And, and that's really what we focus on. That's really what we teach. That's really what, you know, organizations like ours, um, you know, really try to fundamentally um, train um, hospitals and health systems in doing. And so I would just say that, you know, don't take it for just that surface of what we believe it is, but really there's a lot of, um, research and literature um, that talks about evidence-based practice and the way in which to go about doing that work. And that's really what we need to be focused on. 
Yeah, and and I would say I second I second all of that, and you know really thinking about health equity and most they'll call it DEI right diversity equity inclusion and some call it EDI equity diversity inclusion, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of systems here in the industry are making an intentional effort, meaning they have hired um, diversity equity officers to really come in and shape their strategic plan for the system. And my hope is that others will kind of jump on that bandwagon and also be more intentional and not just have hire the diversity equity officer and have them sitting on the on the stool and kind of or check the box, but really give them the power to do the work and be intentional about the work. And I'll just say this, for those system leaders that are listening to the podcast and you're not quite sure either how to get started or how to, I would say, optimize the diversity, equity, inclusion, strategic plan for your organization, please contact us. This is in our DNA. We are extremely passionate about this work and in hoping that others will kind of be able to spread those pockets of excellence around the country. And my also hope is that one day everyone in this um, industry will be at their optimal best as it relates to health equity and our job has been done. So just kind of throw yeah. that out there as I am optimistic, excitedly optimistic, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, I echo your sentiments and I just want to add this piece. And so speaking of, you know, evidence-based and, and innovation, so, um, you know, I'd say maybe 10 years ago, right? Um, so chief diversity officer role is not necessarily new. Um, there was, there's been an emergence of, of that role over the last um, 10 plus years, um, as well as population health um, uh, roles within hospital, um, our hospital-based institutions or institutions that deliver care. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the difference between, um, you know, those organizations that um, have really accelerated the work and have really connected it um, to clinical um, improvement programs that have not um, really isolated that work to HR related initiatives are the ones that are more innovative in the work. So, you know, the chief diversity officers, um, and I remember sitting on a, um, a, a dissertation committee for someone who evaluated chief diversity, the role of chief diversity officers. Uh, it had to be at least 10 years ago because it was, you know, again, emerging. And the, 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 the predominance of um, chief diversity officers across the nation that had been evaluated in that study were people that were mostly isolated to HR um, related um, initiatives. So it was really about, you know, hiring. It was really about, you know, looking at, um, you know, uh, staffing and and, and, and and having initiatives related to, to human resources. Um, but now you're beginning to see really the innovation come through now, which is really what it should have been, where equity is you look at that across all dynamics of business operations and so it's not just isolated to um hr but these people are now 
you know, involved in clinical improvement um, activities, performance improvement activities across the organization. And they're looking at, you know, how do we really improve not only um, equity as it relates to our staffing and our metrics uh, around our employees and how diverse we are as an organization, but also, you know, looking at, you know, are we producing better outcomes for all people um, and really connecting that to community engagement. So that's another um, thing that, you know, we're, we're really starting to see emerge in the field, which is awesome um, because that is best practice that these roles do need to be connected to quality um, and safety improvement as well. Mm, I love it. I love it. I, I kind of want to shift us to really talk about stakeholder engagement. You know, you know, as again, coming out of COVID and we're ramping things back up across the country and industry, let's talk a little bit about stakeholder engagement and how important it is to have, I would say, diverse representation and ensuring that those voices that otherwise have been kind of left out. And I'll just kind of throw this out there. Um, we were recently working on a project and we were tasked to really tap into a very diverse group of stakeholders and i'll say you know and i'll take a shout out to indigenous lifeways they are um a native american uh community-based organization based out of new mexico and it was such a pleasure to work with them and really hear the voices from the First Nation people about their needs and what their communities have been affected by. And it was, she was, when I spoke to her, her name is Crystal Curley. Um, she's the executive director over there. She was like, Desiree, I have been, I haven't been included in these conversations as it relates to national measurement conversations mm -hmm. and for me it was like an aha moment to even be more intentional to make sure that we really pull out those communities that otherwise have been left out and forgotten in this space mm -hmm. so what what are your you know I would say insights and thoughts around that true stakeholder engagement and not just a check the box. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, um, early mentors taught me was, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And your job as an expert is really to be an expert facilitator. <laughs> and I'm gonna say that again because I think you you do this work brilliantly, which is the reason why. <laughs> reason why <laughs> thank you. No way, there was no way I was gonna do, uh, do this business endeavor without having a Desiree attached <laughs> to it. But honestly, you know, um, oftentimes we believe or people believe or people in administration or people in leadership believe we understand right what everyday individuals want and or desire because we feel like you know we created the systems we created the processes we understand what they are we understand where they're broken so on and so forth and so we know the needs of the people mm -hmm. um and and really as a master facilitator right your expertise is really recognizing first that we don't know what we don't know mm -hmm. 
And that starts with meaning that we don't know everything and that wherever there's a gap that we're going to make certain that we do our due diligence to close that gap and elevate the voice of people. And what I love what you, the work that you've done with the uh, indigenous uh, population is really giving them a stage, giving them a platform um, to really share um, their culture, share their experiences, share their values, share their belief systems um, that really, you know, connects back to what their expectations are of the health system. And, and guess what, guys, that's not just patient satisfaction. Okay. That's right. Because the, you know, I hear it time and time again, oh, we look at our, you know, um, patient experience and our, um, our yeah. you know, satisfaction scores. And it's like, yeah, that's one piece of it. But how you're really connecting that back to quality and safety is imperative in this work. And being able to develop those types of partnerships that you've developed um, so that you can elevate those voices in a very unique and distinct way um, is, is, is critically important. So I think um, the best advice that I can give is you have to recognize where the gaps are and you have to be willing to be vulnerable in that space to allow space for others to come in and, and bring their um, expertise as an individual, as a consumer, as a family member, as a caregiver, um, you know, interacting with our health systems. And so, um, you know, engaging uh, with the indigenous group and, and the work that you've done there is just, you know, phenomenal because she's absolutely right. Like until, you know, the day you called me and said, you know, these are the folks that we're talking to, I don't, I don't know of another organization that has tapped into that group as it relates to measurement. And so mm -hmm. th those, those things are critically important to, you know, just really make certain that we're being master facilitators in this and, and that we have a systematic um, process for being able to bring the authentic voices of those people into the work. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also an accountability piece to all of this. So and one of the things when I was speaking with the different organizations on this particular project, they were very upfront with me to say, okay, we're willing to partner with you. We're willing to also be vulnerable and give you the needs, the wants, our perspectives, our expertise, but what are you gonna do with that information? Yep, yep, yep. And are you gonna, are you just gonna take from us like everybody else and we never hear from you again? Or is there going to be some accountability here where we will hear about what the research findings are and make sure that before whatever goes out, that we see it, we approve it. And I think that is also something that we pride ourselves at ATW Health Solutions and PPIC is that we are true partners and that takes a lot of a vulnerability, I think, on everybody's part and trust, right? Mm -hmm. to trust each other to make sure and not just be takers, takers, takers. You know, my grandmother used to say, are you a giver or are you a taker? And I'm like, well, you know, I hope that I'm a giver. And so in that aspect, we want to make sure that we are held accountable for the work that we're doing and we're not just picking their brains and leaving them left and used as historically it's been done absolutely um 
if we don't value those relationships in that way, that means that we didn't regard it as meaningful. And, and the one reputation that I never want to develop is that we didn't partner in a meaningful way. And mm -hmm. it's because both you and I, you know, um, having history coming from priority populations, we know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're moving into a generation of, of leaders who, um, you know, don't want to experience what we experience, right? They don't want to experience what our forefathers experienced. And so they are, they're asked, there's more, they're asking for more accountability. Um, a prime example is COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, many, many organizations, in particular pharmaceutical organizations and organizations that are doing clinical trials, as a result of COVID, those organizations have struggled with getting diverse participation. Yeah. Now, we've been, we've known historically that um, many marginalized communities have not, have been underrepresented, right, in research. They have been underrepresented in clinical trials. Um, and so to your point, being on the other end of COVID, now there's a, a, a big emphasis around stakeholder engagement. There's a big emphasis around diversity um, and inclusion as it relates to uh, participation in the in in that type of research uh, but you got to have a system you mm -hmm. got to have a system for it and and when those communities when you're not taking the time to develop trust in those communities um, that your relationship is not being seen as authentic we're seeing it now where communities are pushing back and they're saying well no we don't want to engage or no That's we don't right. we don't want to do this or no we're not getting vaccinated or no whatever yes. it is. and so we've got to make certain that we are being very intentional about the way in which we do the work um, so that those relationships are sustained. Because just like P-Pick, Desiree, and, and, and you as my witness, mm -hmm. know that if we can't have a meaningful, you know, um, um, bi-directional, um, reciprocating, you know, relationship, then then we don't attempt to establish it so in other words we we we're not coming to the table with an expectation that you just give 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 mm -hmm. it's very bi-directional and it has right. to be that and that was the reason why peepik was even developed you remember like early yeah. back in the day it was oh you know, can you develop a panel for this? Can you develop a, a network for this? Or can you bring patients' voices for this? And we do it and we, you know, one off here, one off there. But those relationships were not being sustained mm -hmm. because the organizations that were asking for the voices didn't really have a mechanism for sustaining those relationships. And that's what PPIC is about. It's about having a mechanism for sustaining those relationships. Yes, I, you know, and, I, and I'll say this for those that are new listening to the podcast. Um, I urge you to visit our website at www.atwhealth.com and make sure that you learn all about us. You learn about Patient Partner Innovation Community. You can listen to all of the other podcasts that are on there and just kind of get to know us. And for those that are our repeat listeners, please share it, spread it among your community, your industry co collaborators and partners, because we truly believe, you know, that sharing is caring. And the more we can kind of spread those voices of the people that are doing this great work, 
you know, and also I urge you, if you're tuning in and you're doing some great work, reach out to us. We'd love to have you as a guest at On P-Picks Podcast, as the whole purpose is to really elevate your voice to make sure that you're heard and others can kind of reach out to you. So I know we can talk for hours and hours and hours, but I do know that people are commuting and driving and cooking dinner and doing all these things as they're listening to our podcast and so you know as we come to a close this has been a really great conversation i hope that you guys are energized and fired up and ready to get um roll up your sleeves and get into the work any last insights parting words dr washington yeah no i think that uh, the one other thing that i would say is that this work that's being done around um, partnerships, the work that's being done around stakeholder engagements, the work that is being done around collaboration, um, that it does have to be um, very much strongly um, and absolutely connected to achieving health equity and enhancing population health. And then I would also say that it also should be very much connected to promoting health and disease prevention across mm -hmm. populations. Um, so in other words, you have to make certain that we're not creating a platform to elevate for the purpose of listening and we're not connecting the dots. You got mm -hmm. to connect the dots. Um, and so one of the ways that organizations and institutions that are in the health services delivery space um, can do that is through the integrated PFE index assessment, which is a scientifically based um, assessment that we created um, back in 2019 that is um, patent protected. And that assessment um, uses evidence-based algorithms to basically measure um, and quantify the work that um, institutions are doing in this space. And then it also provides recommendations on how to advance the work. And so that I would just say anyone that's interested um, in uh, learning more about that, please also reach out to us about that. And then I echo your sentiments about just more and more and more people um, you know, in, in PPIC. I know right now we're over 3,000 people, but there are 7.3 billion people on this earth last time I checked. Ooh. And I would love to see, you know, a million folks in 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 PPIC so that we can really drive um, change uh, in healthcare, healthcare transformation across the board. Oh yes, I love it. And for those again, you know, please you can visit PPIC at PPIConline.com. You can also reach out to myself. Desiree Collins Bradley at ATW Health Solutions and or Dr. Washington. She's super busy, but if you will, we'll try to get her if we can. <laughs> but thank you for having this wonderful conversation. And as always, guys, be engaged. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com.